the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the Believer's Journey. I'm so thankful that you've joined us again. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank everybody who prays for us, who watches this program, who shares it. Uh, hopefully that uh, as you watch this program, uh, you will subscribe to it, you'll comment, you'll like it if you like it. Hopefully you'll like it. And um, But I do need would like to see more subscribers. That would really bless my heart. Anyway, today we're on another uh, uh, basic uh, Bible questions on the fly. So we have lots of questions that have come in, probably more than I could ever uh, do in one particular program. And my my moderator today, her name is Mandy, Mandy Sokibo. Skogibo. Skogibo. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. It's complicated. <laughs> It's, and it's the spelling, you're not sure how, it is, how to say it with the spelling. So, Mandy, um, I've known her for, gee, now, ten, 10 years ago. Uh, about 10 years ago or so. She um, she was, worked in a real estate agency, and she still does, uh, real, Realty Executives Access in San Antonio. And... Um, she came for two or three times to be a um, to do an open house for us, and when it wasn't even her listing, and I think that's incredible. It's like a waitress going and filling somebody's coffee to customers that aren't theirs. <laughs> I was still learning; I was new, so doing those helped me learn how to how to talk real estate with people and get to know people and get comfortable with my job. So I was just thankful for the opportunity. I think real estate lingo will be easy. House, we sell, you buy. <laughs> it's a little more complicated. <laughs> but it did. It taught me a lot, and I really did appreciate that opportunity to grow. Well, I really appreciated you doing that, especially since my agent, and I'm going to talk about her, didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> she's my broker, so I have to be nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's our best friend. She's so. wonderful. <laughs> I just give her a hard time all the time. Yeah. But um, so if you ever need a real estate agent, I'll tell you, Mandy will go above and beyond. She's really incredible. You can see her name on uh, on the banner as it goes through uh, today on the um, uh, program. So you may want to contact her if you're look, if you're in the San Antonio area. I guess anywhere in Texas, but mostly San Antonio. San Antonio. I've worked as far as up, up as Fort Hood and Austin occasionally, um, down to Corpus Christi. Wow. But I do tend to stay in San Antonio most of the yeah. time. And you got two kids, correct? I do. They're adults now. So I have a son who's almost 25 and a daughter who's 23. You know, it's funny. Looking at um, social media, they look like they're really active. They are. 
They yeah. both are. Um, so. Very different things, but they are very, very active. And it's just such a joy to watch them grow up and to become the adults that, that God meant for them to be. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Anyway, so we'll get right to it. And we have more than enough questions. And so we're going to get right to it on questions. And Mandy, go ahead. All right. So this question comes to us from the Middle East. Please explain this to me. Why did Jesus wash the feet of his disciples? That I think is an incredibly wonderful question. I know that I've heard different people say different things. Some people think it's just humility. And it's it's far beyond that. Understand this. Jesus came to be our example. Okay? He lived as our example. And um, he came in. He washed their feet. Okay? And then they had supper. And then he talks with them. And I want to put this together because I think this this is really important. Jesus said in the midst of their dinner... He said that uh, I came, I want to give you a new commandment, you know, and all of you believers out there that don't like the word commandment and think that Jesus didn't do this. Here he is. He said it direct. I want to give you a new commandment. And it says that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, Because if you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Now, Understand that word, as I have loved you, he's talking about what he has done for them up until this point. He's not talking about going to the cross. He hasn't gone there yet. So we go back to washing of the feet. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus says, I I came not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus washes their feet in a manner of servanthood. And he says, love one another. Now, the word love, he uses agapeo, okay, which is to give of yourself, okay, without expectation of return, which is what he did when he washed their feet. He gave of himself. He showed a sign of servanthood. And he's, then he tells us, go do the same for each other. So I, I think that the reason, and this is my take on it, I'm sure there might be more reasons and more in-depth reasons. Who knows the mind of Jesus but him? But I, I think this is an obvious one to me, is that he did this to help us understand what it is to be like him. The very the very reason, the very foundation for us to be believers, to be Christians, is to become like Jesus. In order to do that, we have to know what he was like when he walked the earth and gave those examples for us. And this is truly one huge example. And then he says to do likewise to one another. Right. I really believe that is the main foundational reason why he washed her feet. Now, there's probably a lot of other reasons, but but this is my take on that. Yeah, it's definitely an example of uh, how we should should walk. Um, Okay, so question number two. This one comes from the United States. You, Alan Cutting, said that you and your wife do not own your business, but Jesus owns your business. How is this possible? Jesus isn't living here on earth. Oh, okay. So, obviously, according to the United States government, 
or the government of Wyoming or Texas, because we're incorporated and we have all these things. Uh, we obviously own the business you know, government, you know, in a government way. Okay. In a, in a very uh, physical way. We owe the taxes. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> <the> taxes. Yes. <laughs> um, however, in a moral sense, I we say that Jesus owns our business because everything that we do in every decision that we make, we want it to honor Jesus. And, and that is why I say Jesus owns our business, because we don't try to make decisions that are ungodly or that are uh, anti-biblical. And in that sense, you know, we have a situation, for example, let's say a customer has something go wrong. And let's say it's not our fault. What do you do? Do you lose $300 mm-hmm. and just say, oh, we'll do it over again for free? And then you make no profit. We've actually done that sometimes. Uh, or do you say, oh, we're not going to do it because you, you made the mistake. It's all your fault. If you want to reorder, go ahead and do it. Now, we've done We've reordered things for people and done it at our cost. So the customer who's no knew that they did actually everything wrong won't have to pay top dollar. They just pay what we paid for it. So we don't lose money and we're not charging another profit. We have that had to, to us and we don't like it, mm-hmm. you know. So, but there are things, uh, even recently we had a situation where there was a, a, a customer of ours who ordered a large a uh, bunch of flags of some type for the government, for U.S. government, for different agencies. And it was a large order, and they gave us the artwork, which was incorrect. We put the order in a layout. We gave it to them, and they approved it. We had it printed. They said, well, this is the wrong color. Well, this is what you gave us. So we went back and forth, and I said, we'll do it at our cost. Well, that's not good enough. Finally, their manager came on, and then I came on, and we talked, and we realized that there were problems on both sides. Mm-hmm. So we took our costs and we split it in half with them. And he, they said, that's acceptable. And I said, that's acceptable. So it's all about honoring Jesus. We don't want to have, we don't want to be somebody or be a company that, that says we're out for the, the dollar because we're not. Uh, we're, we're out to help people. And that sounds funny coming from a business that, that does custom-made products. But we, when people are in need of, of help to do something, you know, we want to be there for them more than just the idea that we're selling them something. We've had people who come from Europe order something to be here in San Antonio. They get here on one day. The product is here. The, the I can't say the name of the hotel. <laughs> the hotel would not take it, would not accept it unless they were there. And they weren't there until that Sunday night. So we went ahead and delivered it personally with to them. Now that's above and beyond, and we didn't charge them anything for it, but because we care about the customer. Well, it also goes back to question one uh, about living, you know, as as Jesus did and being a servant to people. Yeah. Well, I think there's a difference because I think what Jesus is talking about to the disciples, he's talking about, you know, he's talking to them as the church, them mm-hmm. as believers, to love one another, other believers, as right. I have loved you. I think there is there is a difference there in the fraction of that right. statement. Uh, we're here, we're, we're showing people that we honor God. 
We honor Jesus. The things we do are above reproach or above and beyond. I mean, if you look at all of our stars on everything we do, we have five stars 100% of the time. We don't let anything go less than five stars on Google, Better Business Bureau, whatever it might be. And that's difficult to do sometimes. I think it is. Our, yeah. we, don't have, we have a lot of competitors that don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it, it really says a lot to the fact that, you know, when I say Jesus owns our business, that we do want to recognize that we want to honor him in everything we do. Always. That's great. Okay, question number three comes from Moldova. Because so many churches claim the truth, the true Christian church, how do I know which one is correct? Orthodox, Evangelical, Baptist, Mormon? <laughs> okay. And I understand where this is coming from in Moldova. Um, we go to Moldova almost every year. Um, and there's been an influx of now Mormon is moving into there and other groups are moving in. And this has been a problem in the United States and a lot of places where, you know, we've had some churches say we are the true church. You know, you have Catholics that say this, you have some fundamentalist churches that say this. Um, I, I don't believe any particular denomination. Okay is the denomination, okay? I, I might say that, you know, if I look at a Calvinist denomination, which might consist of Baptists or uh, Presbyterians or, or uh, Congregationals and so forth, and you might have your holiness churches, which is your Wesleyan-type churches, your Methodist or Nazarene and so forth, you know, they're both really good. They both have some mistakes in them which makes them not perfect. So to me, what is teaching the Bible? That, really, that, I think that's where the answer is. If you go to a Mormon uh, doctrine, for example, they call their churches wards. If you go to a Mormon doctrine, the thing that they teach is that they believe in the Bible, but then they add this whole phrase, in as so much as that it is correctly translated, which what they teach is that the Bible is not translated corrected, it's all corrupted, which has actually been proven wrong, but they don't take that. So basically, there's a problem there. They don't even accept the written scriptures. They accept the Book of Mormon, which has been proven there's a lot of fallacy in that. So I would say in churches of Christianity, you would have to rule out the Mormon church because I I, I believe, I might get a lot of flack on that one, but but there there really is a lot of problem in their teaching, and there's a lot of things that they teach, uh, and not every Mormon knows this. Just like there are certain things in the Catholic Church that uh, a lot of really good Catholics and really godly people, but there are some things that are taught that aren't necessarily accurate. It doesn't make them a cult. It just makes them that there's problems in their denomination. But in the Mormon church, I would say that you can rule that one out. When you go to the, I know that the big church there is the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church. And for the most part, the Russian Orthodox Church, um, in their uh, doctrine, is not bad. It's it's okay. It's just a, what they teach in the traditions that they teach. Just like in the United States, you have the, the Catholic Church. You know, the doctrine is not bad. It's just what the, they teach comes off, uh, you know, wrong or it comes off not according to their own doctrine. Um, 
when you say that you shouldn't have to teach or read or you shouldn't read the Bible because uh, God gave all the um, inspiration to the priests, we have a problem with that because the Bible teaches that we need to read the scripture, you know. So it, it, there's problems with that. When we look at, um, so in Moldova, you have the Orthodox Church, you have Evangelical Church. Now the Baptist, I know there's a whole group there called the Baptist Union, Union Baptist. And I know that they've kind of separated themselves apart. However, they have good doctrine. They just have one thing that they're really against, which I say is harmful to the what Jesus just taught about loving one another. There's there's a there's a problem there. Except when the people came with uh uh Ukraine, they joined in with the rest of the churches to help the Ukrainians, which was really cool. So it seems like a lot of babble to get to the point. I'm what I'm trying to say is um there is no accurate, perfect church. There's a lot of denominations. During Jesus' day, you had five denominations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Hellenists and Zion and so forth. Okay, five denominations. And then when Jesus uh, rose from the dead and, and ascended, we had a sixth denomination, which was that which followed the Messiah Jesus, which was a Jewish following. It was not a uh, Gentile following. It was Jewish. So he had six denominations, which was the correct one. Well, this one was obviously the correct one because it was the Messiah that came for these other five to lead them the way. And so there was a break off. So when we look at these churches, the bottom line question is, are they teaching the Bible? And more so, are they teaching that in order to live a biblical life and, and to become like Jesus, which is, like I said, the foundation of Christianity, are they teaching you to follow the teachings of Jesus? If they're saying, just come to the church and join the church and you're good because you came to church, give to the church, that's not, that's not biblical. What's biblical is to become like Jesus. And that's what needs to be taught in these, these denominations. So it's important to, when you're there, to make sure that what is being taught, the doctrine in the church, matches up to what you read in the Bible. Absolutely. In fact, if if they're teaching things that are not in the Bible, that the doctrine of of the teaching is contrary to the Bible, then we have a problem with that doctrine or that church itself or the or the pastor or whoever might be teaching that we have a problem with that we have to really recognize what is a christian what is a believer a believer is somebody who becomes who strives to become like jesus mm -hmm. that's what a christian is a christian isn't somebody who who is has a um membership to a church or goes to church on christmas and easter you know, and or gives money to the church. That's it. If that's all they do, and that's all they do, it does make them a, a bona fide believer. A believer is somebody who seeks after him to become like Jesus. Okay. Um, question number four comes from right here in Texas. Uh, since Russian President Putin rode on a white horse, hates Israel, and has caused so much chaos in the world. Could he be the Antichrist? <laughs> you know what's funny? I teach a class on Sunday. And I have a guy who really believes that in my class. <laughs> I know a lot of people that do as well. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I've heard it around. Um, first off, we have to understand that if you look at, at 
Revelation, you look at Daniel, you look at the end time structure. The Antichrist isn't even revealed until the time of the uh, temple, desecration in the temple, which is three and a half years into the tribulation. So to think that Putin is now revealed as the Antichrist, or he is obviously the one we, we see as the Antichrist, uh, just because he rode a white horse and, you know, had no shirt or whatever it is, and now he's <laughs> conquering all this stuff, doesn't make him the Antichrist. It just makes him an evil man, you know. Um, but the Antichrist is going to be revealed, according to the Apostle Paul. He'll be revealed at the time of the desecration of the temple. So we need to understand that in Revelation, same thing, when that happens. So even when there's a treaty made with Israel, which will be the Antichrist, we don't even know who it is. So, I mean, Daniel, the way he writes that, he's like, we don't know. So so basically, when we do know is when that temple is, is desecrated and Israel now revolts and, and is split from that treaty that's made with the, with the Antichrist. So there's quite a few things that have to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to pick, well, it must be Russia, it must be China. You know, you know, for years, it must have been Hitler back in 1940s. I mean, everybody has their Hitler. I mean, I'm sorry, everybody has their Antichrist. And it's proven to be false. Mm -hmm. we, we need to stop looking that direction. We need to keep looking at, am I, is my relationship strong and grounded in, in Jesus? That's where our focus needs to be, not the Antichrist. That's, that's you know, we need to look at our ourselves and where we're grounded. Right. I agree. I agree. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, from Eastern Europe. You said people should not get divorced except when they have biblical grounds for divorce. I imagine that that means adultery. What if your husband is beating you? Can that be grounds for divorce? If no, what can you do? Where's this coming from again? Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe. And I think this is a problem. Probably, at least North America has this problem. Um I remember having this conversation with on the pro on this program twice. I had it once with my wife, and once uh, a while ago when we talked about husband and wife relationship. Um, so actually, there's there's more things involved about divorce than we realize. In in First Corinthians chapter seven, the Apostle Paul says to believers, he says, you know, if you have an unbelieving spouse who says they want to leave, Paul says to go ahead and let him go, and you're not held accountable for or responsible, or you're not held in bondage to that, which means you're free to be free, be single, to remarry, and so forth. And, and so that's part of that. So um, I think what Jesus was talking about with adultery was to a rowdy bunch of people who were trying to trick him and say a bunch of things about uh, marriage. I mean, part, part of that discussion, I believe, was with the Sadducees talking about uh, being married to a guy, and if the guy dies, and the brother marries the same woman, and different, so forth, so who's going to be the husband in, in heaven? And he goes off and talks about all this. So I think that, you know, he's addressing a certain issue. But I, I believe that we need to understand that there are a lot of things involved with with marriage now 
I think my discussion had a lot to do with I don't I don't like the person I'm married to, or you know what, I found somebody else, or you know, I'm unhappy. God wants me to be happy. The Bible says I should be happy, which it doesn't, you know, so all this. So therefore I, I God it's okay with God I get divorced. So I think we talked about, you know, just getting divorced and adultery being that as it may. However, the issue of abuse and the issue of being uh, abused or beat. Now, when now that word abuse, I, I really don't like it because it's been taken out of context with people. Uh, there are people that say oh, I'm being abused because my husband called me a name, so I should I have rights to leave him now. And I think we we over exaggerate that. But if you're being beaten, I mean literally beaten, being beating, and your life is in danger, uh, I'm not going to tell you you have the right for divorce, but I will tell you you should leave. I, I really believe that there are, I don't know what's in Eastern Europe. I don't know. I know that when I'm in Moldova, there are at least places you can go to for, for shelter in the body of Christ that will help you. As far as like the United States, we have shelters here where a woman can take herself or a hand or her children and be protected from uh, someone from beating her until basically they could kill her. I mean, it really is... Um, uh, what do you call it when it's an epidemic in the United States? Oh, yes. The, the beating and, and abuse is an epidemic. And I know that there's a lot of alcoholism in Eastern Europe. So I know that's an issue. Uh, my suggestion and my recommendation is, is that if that is really bad, you do want to protect yourself because you could die. You do separate yourself. But on the other hand, I do believe that you should do whatever it is possible to try to reconcile or rectify that relationship. Uh, For example, um, if I had somebody come to me and they were able to find a place of refuge, I would say, you know, you need to go to counseling. And you need to see if your spouse will go to counseling. Now, if they will, there might be a road to recovery at that point. And, um, I mean, I know a great counselor uh, here in San Antonio, and um, I know a great counselor in California. Uh, I know a great counselor in Moldova. I mean, there's counselors, people that can help you for that and help the spouse with that as well to recovery, to getting rid of um, the act of violence or the alcoholism, which may lead to the act of violence and so forth, to bring you back to the relationship that brings you as one and then later as that builds you can start dating and if that builds and you can go back come back together as as a husband and wife there might be a period where that spouse might say no i'm not going to do it and there's no way well then what else can you do and if they say well then you know are we done or you know not you know there's a point where a lot of times it's over and there's times when there's hope and I, I think that we need to see as believers that there's always hope in Jesus. I believe in that. I really believe in that. I believe there's power in the Holy Spirit. There's power in Jesus. And that I've seen relationships mend. I've seen where relationships have been. I've seen where there have been actual divorces. And then they'll go to counseling. They'll date and get remarried. Right. And they have a wonderful marriage after that. I do believe in that, but I also believe if your life is in danger, you should find a way to find refuge. Absolutely. You need to be safe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about that? 
Um, I think it's very important for women to not remain in a place where they are unsafe. I saw my mother, my own mother, be abused when I was very little. And to this day, she has uh, scars on her face from coffee cups being bashed across her face. And I'm glad that my grandparents, a Christian family, took both of us in and took care of us and gave us refuge from that relationship. Um, It was very dangerous and my mother could have died. So I think it's very important to not remain in a situation where you could be killed. Yeah. I had a time years ago, I was married to a a girl who passed away. uh, But the time we were married, she ran into a girl who had two children and her husband had just hit her and her and her eye had been popped out of her socket and she was holding it going to the hospital yeah. and in a situation like that she needs refuge yeah so we took her in you know for, for that reason right okay number question number six comes from turkey who is the true god we have such a struggle in our country <sighs> you know i can imagine that because it's a strong influence of, of islam and a strong influence of christianity um Speaking to Turkey, I would have to say the true God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, um, also, we'd have to understand that uh, the scriptures say that David, that the uh, the king, the lineage of the king will come from the from King David, which Jesus does that. And so I believe that we would say that Jesus also is of God or God. Um, So that's how we would look at that. Um, It's interesting because if you look at um, Muhammad, who was uh, the founder of of Islam, even he had his great grandmother was Jewish, you know, and and, uh, he lived in an area where he actually um, preached against I mean, before before he started the Muslim following, he actually would preach on the corner, believe it or not, of how how wrong the people were doing their moral lifestyle was terrible, and he would preach against it. It actually, you know, it was interesting. It was actually good. And then later, he went back to a whole city that was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he wanted them to follow him because it was off kilter from... Bible of the old scriptures, they refused. So he, he when he later later he came back with the army and killed him. And his whole life at that point was bad. I mean, it just was really bad. But I think you know when we look at God, who is who is the creator of all things, and then continue when you when you look at the the Bible, uh, the holy scriptures of Judaism and now Christianity, which is put together. Do the scriptures flow so that it doesn't contradict each other? And basically, if you read them correctly, there's no contradictions. That will show you who God really is. When you look at the Quran, okay, there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of inaccuracies and there's a lot of contradictions. Um, because of the contradictions, to me, that would say that 
the true God wouldn't have written this. Okay. Um, and, and I could, and I've not discussed this, this question with anybody personally, um, but I do have answers. I do have things I could talk about with this one because I've taught these things. Um, but I think you need to understand where is the accuracy, where is the consistency, and you won't find it in the Quran. You will find it in, in the Holy Bible, which we call the Tanakh or Torah or the New Testament, however you want to look at these things. And I think that's what's important. That's what actually turned me to understand that Christianity was, was absolutely the way to walk, was because looking at all these other denominations are, are actually belief systems. They all had problems. They all had inaccuracies. And I couldn't believe that a God would write a bunch of lies or things that were not contradictory, that were contradictory to himself. Mm -hmm. So I would say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and following that from date to David to Jesus, we have the God you're looking for. Right. I know that a lot of people that I've spoken to will say that God, that there are gods by different names, but they are all the same God. And I think that might be a question that a lot of people have is God by another name or the, the God of a different religion. Could it be the same God? I don't think so. And actually in, in the scriptures in the Old Testament, uh, there really is only one name that's a name of God, and that's Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at Yahweh, several hundred uh, to my to my Hebrew friends, they say that Hebrew is in the Old Bible, Old Testament. They took out the vowels, so we, they couldn't even see the name written correctly. Um, so we don't even we're not even positive that those that E and that A is supposed to be in there. Now we just kind of put them there because it sounds right. Um, however, there is one other spot. When Moses asks, who do I say that you are? He says, I am that I am. Yeah. And Jesus repeats that, I am. Before Abraham, I am. So I think there's a connection there. But when you talk about the other words, Adonai, Elohim, you know, these words are are not names of Jesus or names of God. I mean, these are actually titles. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand all these 13 different names are not 13 names. They're like 12 titles in one name. And so. When a, I mean, it's brought up a question that I've actually talked to people about. When someone talks about the God in Islam, is that the same God of Christianity? Right. And it's not. Right. So. Okay. Number seven um, from Moldova, because so many churches claim to be the true Christian church. How do I know what is correct? Actually, that's is that the same question we just had or it's very similar. Um, we did have that question earlier. <laughs> that was the same question as we had earlier. Um, okay, so we'll go on to number eight um, from the United States. How can God use a president who claims to be Catholic or Christian but live or promote ungodly and non-biblical teachings? How could God use a president? Okay, I'm not sure. Uh, this is a really tough question. Um. I'm not sure that God bases his working in a nation or a country on the leader himself. Um, 
I don't I don't believe that if a person claims to be a believer, okay, that if that person is living a sinful life or opposed uh, in opposition to biblical teachings or principles, I don't believe that that person is truly a believer. Okay, maybe so, maybe because they want votes. <laughs> maybe because they're trying to impress people. But when you when you start living and teaching things that are that are not biblical, uh, actually that breaks the third commandment. He's taking he's uh, carrying or taking in God's name in vain. To say that you're a believer and then live like you're not is taking God's name in vain. So right there, they're living opposed to scriptural uh, lifestyle. However, I doesn't th I don't think that means it's going to God is going to judge the entire nation that way because. If if you look at in Second Chronicles, where God says, "If my people, not my leaders, but if my people, you know, were to come to Him to turn away from their wicked ways and seek Me, humble themselves, you know, turn from their wicked ways and so forth, then I'll heal their land." It, it's about people. I think one of the reasons why God has has uh, kept the United States free from a lot of Danger, a lot of uh, overtaking is because the people have, of his people, not the people overall, but the Christians, the believers have sought Jesus, have, have prayed to him, have sought to, uh, be of a certain caliber that God wants. Irregardless, that's a, not even a word, regardless of, um, of, uh, the leader. Because we've had some pretty bad leaders. But God has still maintained his sovereignty sovereignty, and his protection over our nation. So I, I don't think, and I know there's a big push today at, well, because of the president we have, no matter which one it is, you know, our nation is going to go down the drain because of it. Um, I, I think that th that's a misnomer, because as long as his people are faithful to him, God's not going to punish the people while they're being faithful just because of the leader. Right. So, and I know that in today's day and world, it, it's terrible. Probably in the last 12, 13 years, it's been terrible, even more maybe, about our division in our country, United States, because of the leadership. And, and what's happening is people who say they're believers are now going like this, and they're fighting each other. And what did I just say about Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. In fact, if you go to the first book, First uh, John, he says you need to love one another. And if you don't love one another, then God's not in you. So really, I think there, there's more concern about you and your lifestyle than your leader. Right. So we need to be praying that the people who should be praying are praying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, question number nine comes to us from the Philippines. If God will do whatever he wants anyways, what's the point of praying? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I thought, was... <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, first off, there, there's a lot of things to be said here. First off, God created a religion for us, which is good. One is that we, we pray. That's a God-made religion. Okay. Another is that we assemble with other believers. That's a God-made religion. Another one is that we pay tithe. You know, that's a God-made religion. Um, 
So all these things that we need to do are, are created by God. What is the purpose? Well, to pray, first off, it helps us to be understand God better, to be in more communication with him. Uh, the more that I pray, the more I'm more apt to seek him. The more I have to seek him, the more I read the scriptures. The more I read the scriptures, the better I understand the scriptures. The more I better I understand the scriptures, the better I know God and understand God. So that's one reason why to pray. I mean, I think that it, it, it helps us build our relationship. For example, if you got married to somebody, hey, you're married. Why should you have, you know, your wife or your husband is going to do what they want to do. Why, why talk to them? <laughs> you know? If I, if I thought my wife was going to do what she wanted to do, would I just stop talking to my wife? No, I'd be stupid. You know, my, my relationship would go down the drain. Wouldn't yours? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the way it is. Well, same thing with our relationship with God. We need we need to talk to him, and we need to listen to him as well. Uh, he speak to us, speaks to us in several different ways, but it builds our lives. It, it builds. It helps us to have a good uh, moral sense about our lives grow. Um, and I don't believe God has decided everything he's going to do has already been set in stone. I believe that God changes his mind. I know there's going to be a million people that disagree with me with this, but you know, think of it this way. When, when, uh, Isaiah was told to go to Hezekiah, can you find it in the book of Isaiah? Um, and he told Isaiah, get your things in, in order because God said, you're going to die. So, like, right away. So what did Hezekiah do? He didn't get his things in order. He went to God instead and prayed. God, I've been righteous. I have followed you. I've been, you know, I have all done everything for you. You know, please let me live. Next thing you know, Isaiah comes back in and says, hey, God's decided you can live longer. Well, you know, I think if we pray, God can change his mind based on our prayer, based not just our prayers, but our lifestyle. You know, um, for example, if I pray, God, give me this, God, give me that. Prayer isn't only about asking for things. It's about a lot of other things. If I'm praying for something, but I'm not living for him, you know, or living the way or living in Jesus name, it's not about praying the words in his name either. It's about living in his name. If I'm doing that and I'm asking or I'm praying for things, I believe God honors those prayers. So I think it's more than just saying God, give me this when he's already got his mind made up. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think sometimes for me, I have gone to God in prayer thinking that I really needed something in my life. And this is what I really need. And you pray and you pray. And then over time, you know, you, the, the posture of your heart changes when you listen um, in those prayers. And sometimes what I was praying for isn't what I needed. And, um, it, it helped prayer draws me closer to God into a, a place where I can understand what, what he means for my life better. Because yeah. sometimes my way isn't God's way, even though, you know, it seems right in that moment. It can bring me closer to God and, um, you know, when I, when I stay in prayer, it also draws me close to God and I read my Bible and I seek to understand better. I think it also helps us change our perspective. Yeah. So the more you pray, you know, we might have been a selfish brat, 
we before we pray, we may start losing that selfishness or that brat behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps us in a better stand. I know that I have been a brat sometimes, <laughs> for sure. Well, well, you know, it's interesting. We all have. I think I brought this up a few weeks ago, but my wife goes to Austin to visit her grandkids every so often. And this last time she went, I had this eerie feeling about her safety. And I, so I thought, started praying. Well, then on her way, and she got there okay, and you know, and so on her way back, same thing. So I prayed about it. Well, then when she got home, I told her I was praying because of this. And she says, you know what? Me too, because I felt weird too, you know. So it isn't that I became closer to God all of a sudden, is but I became closer to my wife all of a sudden. Yeah. And that helps those relationships also. And she knew because of my what I was feeling, I was praying for her. And that made her feel special, which drew her closer to me. So you know, it all works together. Our relationship as a believer is is two ways. It's it's honoring and living for God, and it's also loving and giving to other believers. Right. And I think that that that's huge. We need to understand that. And the more we do these things, the more it all comes together. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So question number ten is from Canada. Why do you teach so much from the Old Testament? Aren't we in the New Testament now? (laughs) I love the Old Testament. (laughs) You know, I have to say this to start this off with. Without the Old Testament, the New Testament would not make any sense. If you took the New Testament and tore off the Old Testament and never, never had anything to do with the Old Testament, then what about all the quotes that Jesus made or Paul made or, you know, Peter made it of the Old Testament, uh, they would be, you know, fruitless. It, it would not make any sense because there wouldn't, it wouldn't go anywhere. It wouldn't go to anywhere uh, because it wouldn't have any, anything for us in the New Testament. So we, we have to understand that our basis is from the Old Testament, the basis of the New Testament. It, it, it shouldn't really be old and new anyway. It should be one and two. Mm-hmm. It's really a combination. Um, the scriptures are the scriptures, and they were the scriptures of the Old Testament, even up until, you know, 100 A.D. So we didn't have a New Testament at that point. And I think that, you know, we need to see that when they talked about the scriptures in 65 A.D., when Paul talks to Timothy, he's talking about the Old Testament, that all scripture, God, or God breathed. We need to really adhere to the scriptures. What's he talking about? Old Testament. So we need to look at that. And the reason I, I go to the Old Testament, a lot of people don't realize this, but we want to say that the New Testament is a is a book of grace. Well, the Old Testament teaches more about grace than the New Testament ever will, or ever has, or does. So we have stories in the Old Testament that help us understand our our walk today. We have, you know, we wonder why do we make such bumbling idiots of ourselves when we decide we're going to do something and, and, and it's not what God wanted and we fall on our face and, and then God has to come in and swoop us and do this and that. Well, hello, this happened in the Old Testament many times. We can learn from that. These are stories about a bunch of people who tried to serve God and fell on their face and they did their own thing and fell on their face and God came in. I mean, over and over again. Well, isn't that our life today? Mm-hmm. New Testament doesn't have a lot of that, but the Old Testament does. 
And I, this is one of the, or a couple of reasons why I like the Old Testament. Right. There's a lot of really great lessons in there. There really are. <laughs> they really, really are. Um, question number 11 comes from Israel. Does the creation of mankind in Genesis chapter two contradict Genesis chapter one? <laughs> okay. So for all you people that believe that there's two creations of mankind, this is where this is coming from. I know it because I, there, there's a very popular, speaker out there of the new uh, conservative movement, and he believes there, the Bible teaches two creations, which is man and wife, and then Adam and Eve. Okay. And, and, and what we need to understand is, when we when we go to the sixth day, there's not an eighth day of creation, okay? And that's where they're going to, some of them are going to. The sixth day, God created man and, and woman, okay? And we find that in the, that one chapter. Then we go to the next chapter later, and God it starts detailing Adam and detailing Eve and detailing what's going on in the creation and detailing the fall and so forth. What we have in the first part of that description of the sixth day is, is a generalization, okay, of God creating mankind. Mm -hmm. And then in the second part of the other chapter, He's going to detail, to tell us in detail how he did this and what happened. So it's not two creations. It, it's not contradictory. It, it's all about, uh, it's all about how he, how he did it intricately on the second half of that, how he did it overall. You know, this is a way I did it, but then he goes in an intricate part of it in the next chapter. So there's the macro level, and then there's the micro level of, of understanding <laughs> it. Okay, yes. And it's really simple, and, and and there's different ways that you see that in other parts of the scripture, where we see a generalization in a, in a more minute description. That's interesting. I had never even considered that. <laughs> That's very interesting to think about. Um Number 12 comes from Germany. What right did the Roman Emperor Constantine have to create and make official Sunday, a pagan day, as a, as of wor as a day to worship to replace the Sabbath day? That's it. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of controversy about the Sabbath day. And I, I really think that we need to be careful with this. Uh, first off, God created the Sabbath, I mean, and, and told us we need to, uh, honor the Sabbath. It's, it's a day, it's actually in the Ten Commandments as well. Uh, but it's talked to throughout the scripture, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament. Now, when Jesus had left the earth and these groups of, of believers would meet in their homes or, or meet or try to go to the temple, but they would meet and they would meet on the Sabbath day. Now, this isn't written in your Bibles. You'd have to actually go to historical writings to know this. They would meet in these homes. And then what happened were, was that people like Saul, who later became Paul, got letters of right from uh, the government as well, Roman Empire, as well as uh, the Sanhedrin, I think, probably were the people behind all this. They gave him the, them the right to go and persecute these believers. They weren't even called Christians yet. They were just what they were. So they really couldn't go to the temple and worship. They were too afraid, so they worshiped in these homes. So when someone like Saul came around, or 
voters would come around and they would tell them that they're blaspheming God by, by worshiping Jesus. They had the right to stone them to death or kill them or torture them because of their blasphemous behavior. So what happened was, during those early days, those, those, that early century right after Jesus, they started meeting on Sunday to avoid and not be found out that they were worshiping Jesus. That way they couldn't find them. So if they'd be looking for them on the Sabbath day, who would think that a Jew is going to worship on Sunday? Right. They just wouldn't. So they're looking for them on Saturday, but they're worshiping on Sunday, and they're not being found out because they're not looking for them. That's how it all got started. It wasn't anything special. So by the time Constantine comes along, three, four hundred years later, Constantine becomes a, a believer, okay, uh, out of a pagan following religion. I mean, they had the Roman religion was huge. He becomes a believer, and he starts in engaging Christian belief systems into their pagan life there to try to get the the mode changed. That's how he got Christmas. Christmas on the 25th of December. We know it's not the 25th of December. Jesus wasn't born then at all. He's probably born in October, you know. But same thing with the Sabbath. So he makes Christianity the religion of uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire, and he also makes Sunday, he, you know, makes Sunday the day of worship. He didn't create that day. It was already happening. All he did was make it an official day for the Roman Empire. But Constantine was not a scholar. He was, he was not a theologian. He was not a scholar. He didn't know these things. He just did this out of his heart to try to push things to honor and, and worship God. In his own way, which obviously we know today, he had a lot of did a lot of things a lot on the wrong calendar in the wrong way, but he did it out of a heart that was seeking God, which I think is really admirable. But the Sabbath day doesn't mean Saturday. That's the other thing that's the misnomer. Sabbath does not mean Saturday; it means seventh day. Okay, so I think when Jesus was here, he did a really neat thing. He he taught in a way that we need to understand the law is that it was really created out of a for for relationship relationship for God and relationship for one another and when he did these things on the Sabbath that people the Pharisees were saying you were breaking the Sabbath and he says well no I'm not well according to the law of their day that was you know interpreted incorrectly you know Jesus was saying you're wrong you know and so he really help us understand that the spirit of the Sabbath was not necessarily a sadder day. It was a day that we need to take to honor him of the day. It was not that, oh, we couldn't write a letter, we couldn't help a person or heal a person, because we do, and he did. Mm -hmm. It was a spirit of honoring God, not a thing of, oh, we have to sit and do nothing. So, so he changes the idea. So when we talk about the Sabbath day, we need to talk about, are we honoring God for the day? You know, it's not an hour. It's not a half hour. It's not going to a church. It's it's a day that we honor God and worship God in this, this giving of ourselves. And I may work on, on a Saturday, so I'll go to, and honor him on Sunday. 
And that's okay because I'm taking my seventh day and I'm honoring him for that day. It's a, it's that spirit. Now I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I don't care if you're Seventh Day Adventist or even in your in churches. A lot of your uh, denominations or certain people believe this because I've seen it all over and disagree with this totally. But it's the spirit of the Sabbath that we need to consider because Jesus taught things out of the spirit of the law, not necessarily the legalistic idea of the law. That's interesting. I hope that got through okay. <laughs> it does. It does. I know that I've talked to a lot of people that have those same questions, and it's always interesting to to hear other people's perspectives on that. I know some people talk about how Christianity kind of um, have the Sabbath on Sunday as a way to kind of make pagans, they felt more comfortable in church. And, you know, it's interesting to hear your perspective because I had not ever um, known quite what to say <laughs> when people have those conversations. So I usually remain quiet. Um, the next question comes from uh, Israel. Does the creation of mankind in Genesis... No, that's not the right one. I'm sorry. Um, from the Middle East, does Jesus, the apostles, or Paul have the authority to change the Torah? Absolutely not. First off, Jesus wouldn't change the Torah because Jesus most likely being the fact that he is God as well as man, wrote the Torah. I mean, why would you change your own law? I mean, change your own writing, change your own scripture. You just wouldn't do that. Um, but Paul would have no right. He would have no basis. He would, and the apostles, same thing. None of them would would have a right to change it, and Jesus just absolutely wouldn't do it. Um, the, the Torah is scripture that God gave. So other than God, no one has the right to change it. And God said, I I never change. I never lie. I am the beginning and the end. And uh, I am, you know, I am like I am today and forever. I don't change. So he wouldn't change the law. And we change the law. We tend to say, well, the law is a bunch of rules and regulations. Well, no, it wasn't. Maybe now, but it wasn't given that way. It was given to help people understand and live in a in the idea of what is a relationship. The law is about relationship with God and relationship with others. You know, um, the law of, of um, civil law, you know, of, of honoring one another, protecting one another, not abusing or hurting one another. That's that, that's, we have that law, those laws today. It's about living with one another, how to do it. When they came out of Egypt, they didn't have that. They didn't have that perspective because they were under bondage. They were slaves. So, you know, I think God did a really good thing about giving them this idea so they can learn about relationship. We look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are all about relationship with God. There's your first four. And then after that, it's relationship with others. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's it's about living in a relationship. And once we see that, we'll see that the Torah, you know, Pentateuch or whatever you want to call it in the Old Testament, is all about God in this relationship with mankind giving of himself so that we can learn and understand him and become like him and live like him. He says, I am holy, be holy because I am holy. So what is that? Well, when we look in the Torah, we can find that out. 
when we look at the Old Testament writings all through it, Old New Testament, we can find out what that means. So why would he write that if he's going to change it? He's not going to change it. So no, nobody has the right to. Jesus came and gave us a good explanation of the law because we they kind of mucked it up at the time. You know, Jesus had a hard time with it. Paul had a hard time with it because it was all it was all interpreted and translated terribly, you know, for their purpose rather than for God's purpose. So kind of goes back to the when we were talking about the doctrine um, and having to check it against your Bible. Sometimes when you go to a new church, you have to make sure that it's all biblical. Absolutely. And and the Old Testament, you know, the, the law is actually really good. And I think that if we understood that now, the ceremonial law, Jesus took care of that on the cross. We really don't have to worry about that. But the other stuff, you know, don't murder each other. Well, if you get somebody pregnant, you need to take care of that child. I mean, these are things that are just common sense. That's what the law really is, right. you know. Definitely. So anyway, that's all we have time for. But it's so good seeing you. It was so good seeing you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. I would love to come back. This was a lot of fun. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Well, thank you for joining us today. And everyone, you have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you soon. Aloha. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.